All right. <clears throat> By the way, you uh, you baseball fans out there, do you, uh, in the major leagues, do you know what uh, ballpark is the coldest bar ballpark to play in? Anybody know? No? Well, it's San Francisco. You know, the Giants. There's a giant fan in every seat. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get that one out. <clears throat> All right. I heard John Smoltz tell that one the other night on the ball game, by the way, if, you, if you're paying attention. All right. Uh, you know, we've uh, begun a study of the Gospel of Mark, and we're in the first chapter, and I hope you're enjoying it so far. I, I certainly am. Uh, I love studying the Gospels. You know, we, we think, oh, we, we've studied the Gospels, you know, most of us are all of our lives, but it never fails. You go back in there and you see something that you never thought about before or something that you, I didn't realize that. Or, or, or you know, there's always something that you're going to glean from that when you go back and study things. So that's a, that's a wonderful thing. And we're going to begin today in Mark chapter 1, and we're gonna, uh, verse uh, 29. And let's just start by reading that, that passage there. Mark 1 and verse 29 says, Now, <clears throat> as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, and casting out demons. All right. So here we have a, pa a passage of scripture where Jesus has just been in the synagogue identifying himself as the Messiah, the one that uh, the prophets had prophesied about. He's also cast out a demon out of a possessed man there in the synagogue and amazed those who were watching and seeing this happen. After this, he goes into the home of Simon and Andrew, the two disciples that he had called, the two fishermen, remember? Mark's account is very concise and very, very brief or fast-paced, you might say. Even though Mark is quick with it, he does reveal what it must have been like for Jesus on a daily basis, right? On what he's having to deal with. For example, this, this, this thing that happens in the synagogue, casting out the unclean spirit, after this, he returns to home. He goes home. He spends some time with Simon and Andrew. And what happens when he gets there? Well, the first thing he finds out is Peter's mother-in-law is sick. Simon's mother-in-law, who is also known as Peter, is sick with a fever. And so they ask him about that. Obviously, these disciples are seeing the, the miracles, seeing these signs that he's doing, and they believe that he can heal her, right? First thing they do is tell him, and what does he do? He heals her immediately. He, he takes her by the hand, it says. He touches her. He frees her of her fever. Notice that, how he's being compassionate, how he's being loving how he's being uh, touchy-feely you might say how he's trying to show himself as a compassionate loving person what kind of observations can we make of this well first of all that compassion of the Lord that compassion that he has 
for the people, whether that's his disciples or whether there's a crowd there at his home, he has compassion for them. He has a love for them, right? And then what else do we observe there? We also notice that Peter was married. Uh, interesting concept, right? Peter had a wife. His wife, uh, we, we, we don't get her name. We don't know it for sure. Tradition says uh, some things about that, but we don't know that for sure. But we know he was a married man. Why is this important? Well, I'll talk about that in a second. But his wife would actually join him on his travels. Did you know that? Did you remember that? Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and let's read about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. <clears throat> and this is where Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And uh, he's dealing with some issues they had about him and who's, who's, uh, who's right and so forth. And verse 5 he says, My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of his fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Paul's telling the church in Corinth, can't we be taken care of? Can't we have some time? Can't we have people around us that can comfort us and take care of us? Just like Cephas? And the brothers of the Lord who had their wives with them. So have you ever heard anybody say, uh, Peter's wife, he, he wasn't really married. He had a mother-in-law, but she was deceased or he was a widower. No, Paul says his wife was with him. In fact, tradition says they were crucified together in Rome. Interesting concept because what do we know about some of the traditions of men today? The Roman Catholic Church considers Peter to be the first pope. Did you know that? Consider Peter, who was a married man, to be the Pope. Now, whether at the time they might say, well, at the time that was not the papal edict or whatever you call it, you know. But today, priests in the Catholic Church or other, other denominations are to remain celibate, are to remain unmarried. So that kind of throws a wrench into that theory, right? But that, we know that's a man-made tradition. That's not from Scripture. Paul's actually refuting the thing right there in 1 Corinthians. And say, do we not have a right to have a wife just like everyone else? <clears throat> Man, think about all the problems that's caused in the Catholic Church and other places, right? Because of that celibacy. Because men have urges. Men have desires, right? Sometimes they can't control them. Interesting concept, right? It's amazing what the Lord does to provide for us. Well, another thing to notice there is the response of the mother-in-law. What does she do? As soon as she is healed, what does the mother-in-law do? And this is one of those things, you, you, you read that in passing. You don't necessarily think about it, right? It says immediately, she got up and began to serve them. Interesting. She was healed. She sees the Lord. She comes in contact with the Lord. And what does she do? She immediately gets up and gets to work. Doesn't lollygag around. Doesn't say, oh, I need to sleep for a while. I'm so tired. Or, you know. I've been sick for so long, I need to take a break. No. She's immediately getting to work, getting busy. Interesting concept, right? Perhaps that might say something about us, right? Another thing to point out there. It then says at sunset, when the Sabbath was over, people from the town came. 
the sick and demon-possessed were brought to him. In fact, the whole city was gathered at the door. This is after sunset. When normally you would be retiring for the evening, right? Go home and sit around the fire and... I don't know, how, they didn't have TV back then. I guess they told stories or something. You remember that time when Grandma did this and, you know... No, he's dealing with the town. They're all there to see him. They've heard about this guy and they want some help. They think they can be healed. And Mark says many were. Matthew even says in Matthew 8 that all were. He cast out many demons, just like that spirit that he cast out in the synagogue, right? And he forbade them to speak because they knew who he was. We talked about that a little bit last week. At the end of the day, of course, people normally retire, but Jesus is so compassionate, he's so willing to help that he's healing all that have come to see him after sunset, in the dark, at his home. Apostles had similar success. If you go over to Acts 5, you can read about when they were dealing with those who were sick and healing, and they were taking care of people just like Jesus did. Well, response to the people is natural, Right? I could be healed. They want to be healed. They believe. And Jesus healed all that came to him. What else did we read about Jesus here doing? Well, afterwards, early in the morning, he gets up early and goes off by himself to pray. Interesting, right? He takes some time in a solitary place to pray. He was a man of prayer. Mark mentions many other times when Jesus prayed. He is the Son of God. Yet, he needed to pray. Interesting, right? Of course, he is, he is dealing with a lot of stuff now. He's becoming very famous. Everybody wants a piece of him, right? And so he needs that time to be away with the Father in solitude. Time to be one-on-one. -on -one. Time to be able to speak and be comforted through that prayer. Absolutely. Fame, fame has its, has its uh, pros and cons, I guess you might say, too. Yeah, absolutely. He has to have that time away. But what's that say about us, too, right? What's that say about our prayer lives? Are we only spending time in prayer here in the public worship? Are we only spending time with the family right before we eat dinner to pray? Perhaps we need to use this example, right? Perhaps we need to be up early in the morning before daylight and going off by ourselves to pray. Have you ever done that? Do you do that? You don't have to do that, but there is a lot to be said about taking that time for you and God, you and the Lord, you and your Father. 
Interesting, right? Jesus needed to pray. Jesus had to do it. We don't read about, we read about as many other places. Luke 4 says it was a deserted place. Mark 6 says he went up onto a mountain to pray. We know about Mark 14, of course, when he prayed in the garden, right? For his crucifixion by himself, right? We should do the same. Turn over to Matthew chapter 6, and let's just read about that for a minute, what the Lord had to say about that. Matthew chapter 6, and verse uh, verse 5. Matthew chapter 6, and verse 5, it says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who's in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Wow, what a concept. Jesus is saying you're going to be rewarded by going into that secret place, by being one-on-one with him. You ever get the feeling somebody does a public prayer that they're doing it for show? Have you ever done that? In a public prayer, doing it because of the, as you mentioned, the glory it's going to bring to you. That's something we have to be careful about, right? When we pray, we need to be careful and be humble and be willing to do it out of our love for him, not for ourselves. And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about going into a private place where no one can see you, where you're not going to get any glory out of it, where you can be humble, submitting to the creator of the universe. What a concept, right? Our world doesn't like that. Our world wants the glory, right? He's saying no. Go in private. Well, Simon and others are searching for Jesus as we read there. They find him. They, he talks about how everyone is looking for him, right? Just as Kurt was talking about, he is becoming so famous that everyone wants to see him now. Everyone wants to know about this man who's healing people. He tells him what? He says, my purpose is to preach. My purpose is to come and preach, not, not, to make, not to have signs. Those are there to help people understand who I am. But his purpose is to preach. And we have to go on into other cities. We have to go to other synagogues and places to do the signs, to preach to those who are in need of preaching. Jesus' purpose was to preach, to proclaim. Remember we said it a couple weeks ago. What is he proclaiming? The kingdom of God. That is at hand. Healing was, was a great thing, but it's not his purpose. It's secondary to his purpose. It's there to show who he was, right? To corroborate what he's saying. Once they heard, he moved on. And this is something perhaps that we need to understand, right? We are to preach the word. We are to give testimony of our faith in our Lord, but people have to hear it, right? They have to decide for themselves to change their hearts, to change their minds, to repent and become disciples. So when they hear it and they don't heed it, it's not up to us to just keep pounding them over the head with it, right? Maybe once, twice, time to move on. In fact, you might think of it like this. If, if, if they're not going to hear it, why should I hinder someone else from hearing it if they're not going to hear it? Or why should someone hear it two, three, four times when someone over here hasn't heard it? Kind of a plain thing, right? 
but it's something perhaps we need to keep in mind. We need to be preaching the gospel. But when you're unheeded, when they don't listen, you don't need to stand there and keep on pounding them with it. Move on. There's someone else that needs to hear that great gospel, right? I mentioned earlier the apostles would do that. Of course, they did stay in some places for a period of time. We read that in Acts 17 and 18. Paul did this. But their purpose was to tell as many as possible about the gospel, right? What do we learn from this passage, right? Jesus revealed himself as a man of compassion. He loved the people. He wanted to take care of them. He was a man of service, right? Healing. He's a man of prayer. Man, that's a big one right there. I, I hope if nothing else you get that out of this passage. If your prayer life is not robust, make it better. Do better. There's no reason not to. Right? I mean, you have the opportunity to talk to God. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever really consider who you're talking to? Of course, he revealed he had a purpose. And that purpose was to seek and save the lost. First and foremost, to preach the kingdom of God. Well, let's move on to the next passage here in Mark chapter 1, beginning of verse 40. Let's read to the end of the chapter there. It says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Pay attention to that passage. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction all right here we have a wonderful example of a cleansing of a healing of a leper one of the many accounts each of the other uh, synoptics mention it matthew chapter 8 luke chapter 5 talk about the cleansing of the leper much can be taken from this right leprosy was a term that was used for several skin diseases um Probably this one's something today called Hansen's Bacillus, sorry. It's a progressively disfiguring disease, right? We don't see this much today, right? We have cures for it. It's something that can be relatively taken, easily taken care of, if, you know, with medical help. But this was something at the time was very debilitating, very disfiguring, very personal, right? It's likely this person suffered a pitiful existence not just from the physical ravages, but also because of what was taught in the law. Turn over to Leviticus chapter 13, and let's just read about that real quick. Leviticus chapter 13, and let's see what the law said about those who were with leprosy. Verse 44, he says, He is a leprous man, he is unclean. The priest shall surely pronounce him unclean, his sores on his head. Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn, 
and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean, unclean, he shall be unclean. All the days he has a sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean, and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now this is the law of Moses, dealing with one who was a leper. Now obviously there's good reason for it because he couldn't stay around the other people. It was contagious. <laughs> Just like COVID kind of, right? People could get this disease if he was around them. He had to be alone. But imagine that existence, right? I can't go with people. If someone comes near me, I got to shout unclean, unclean. That was the law. What was one of the first things God said about creation of man? It is not good that he was what? Alone. <laughs> That's why he created a helpmate, right? That's why woman was created, because man could not be alone. I doubt many of you have experienced the loneliness of a leper, right? I don't know your personal situation. Maybe that's possible that you've not been a leper, but that you've experienced loneliness like that. I've never experienced that kind of loneliness. I can remember times as a child, you know, getting lost or something. And as a kid, what's that feeling like? <laughs> you think your world's going to end, don't you? Or as a mother who loses a child, you may not feel alone, but you feel that awfulness, don't you? That's kind of what I think about when I think of someone who can't be around people. What an awful existence. Not just because of the disease, but because of the law. It had to be that way. What leprosy does to the body, though, there's something else involved here with our souls, right? What does sin do to us when our relationship with others or with our relationship with God separates us, doesn't it? It makes us be alone. Spiritually speaking, yeah, but separate indeed. Sin progressively enslaves us. John 8, the Lord talked about how you are freed by the blood, how you are freed by uh, how you are enslaved to sin, but if you are freed by the Son, you are free indeed. Sin separates us from God and from people. It's universal, though. Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned and fallen short, right? We all have sin in our lives. And it does lead to eternal death, Romans 6.23. So as long as we remain guilty of sin, we are unclean. We're wretched, just like the leper, just like this man who was physically living a pitiful existence, but perhaps also in his soul was experiencing a separateness from God and those around. <sighs> this leper comes to Jesus, and I want you to notice the example that we have here. He comes to him earnest. He's very desperate. He says he's imploring him. He's very reverent. He kneels in front of him. He's very humble and submissive. He says, if you are willing, right? And he believes. He says, you can heal me. Not only that, he, 
he, he's very quick about it. He, very, he acknowledges what needs to be done. He says, make me clean. He doesn't say, you know, if you can or can, how about just blessing me or anything? No, he says, make me clean. That's what I want. Acknowledges that need. He's very specific and he's very personal and he's very brief. This is a leper's cry. This is a leper going before the Lord and saying, I need your help. I know you are. I own myself before you. Please make me clean. Same way when we need forgiveness, right? We're wretched sinners. What do we need to do? Turn over to Acts 2. Let's read about that real quick. Acts chapter 2. Verse uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. And you know that this is after Peter is preaching. He's talked about the prophecy of Joel, that this is the one who's been prophesied about Jesus. And he's actually verse 36, he says, let for, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Notice their response. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They're crying out. They're crying out just like the leper. What should we do? We know we have done this now. We realize it. What shall we do? Peter said to them what? Repent and let every one of you baptize in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this is the promise to you and to your children and all who are far off. As many as the Lord God, our God will call. And with many other words, they testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. When we need forgiveness, what are we to do? Call upon the name of the Lord. How are we to do that? Well, first we've got to repent of our sin. We've got to change our heart and our mind. We've got to confess our Lord Jesus as the Son of God. We've got to Tell folks we believe. And then we got to be baptized in the Christ. Buried with him in baptism. Raised to newness of life, as we read about in Romans 6. And then we can have that fellowship with the Father. We can be cleansed just like the leper. Yeah, not physically necessarily, but spiritually speaking. The leper's cleansing was activated by God, by the Lord's compassion for us. He was accompanied by the touch of his hand, just like with Peter's mother-in-law. It was accomplished immediately. He says, I am willing, be cleansed. He did it immediately. And what happened immediately? The leper was cleansed. Our cleansing, when we need forgiveness, right? It's activated by God's love. Could we forget, get forgiveness ourselves? No. Had to be done by God. He had to do it. He had to send his own son. Accompanied by that blood of Jesus that was shed. Accompanied by our, unite, our union with him in baptism. Romans 6. Well, what's he tell the leper here? 
he sends him away quickly with a strict warning, not to tell anybody, but to go show himself to someone, right? Show himself to the priest. In fact, if you're still there in Leviticus, let's read about that. Leviticus 14. Let's see what we said about that. The ritual, this is the ritual for cleansing a healed leper. Verse 1, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest. And the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed on an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop, and dip them in the living bird and the living bird in the blood of the bird, and was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy, and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. Remember, we're still under the law here. Jesus tells him to go present himself to the priest. So he can go through this ritual. He's been cleansed of leprosy. Just as the law has stated, Jesus is being keeping the law there. He's, he's, he's telling the, the leper to go do this. But also, what else is he saying? He says he's to show himself. To whom? Well, perhaps he was to show himself to the disciples, to those who are following him, to John the Baptist perhaps still. Remember, he said to go tell John that the, those who are in need of healing are being clean, are healed. Those who are in need of cleansing are being clean, cleansed. Perhaps that's what he's talking about here. Perhaps that's why he says this. What's the leper do, though? <laughs> Pretty much probably what we would do, right? I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm clean. He goes running around telling everybody. So much so that now the Lord has to go out into the desert. Because as his, as said, his fame has become so great, he can't stay in the city. They want a piece of him so bad now that he's got to go out. Can't be there anymore. And remember, the law is from who? It's from God. It's not from the scribes and the Pharisees. It was from God. All right. <clears throat> what does this tell us about today as far as what the leper did? You know, we are to preach the gospel, right? We are to be faithful, though. We are to, like the leper, do what God wants, not what we think is best, right? What's that mean? Well... We have to be careful about what we say and do. We do that. We do. We can't just go do whatever we want. We have to be in prayer about things. We have to be in the Word. And in our service, we have to make sure that we are following that Word. Church sometimes get us away from that, right? Sometimes things are not done in a spiritual manner. Well, 
We're running out of time. I need to hustle here. What happens next? Let's go to Mark chapter 2 and read on. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And again, he entered Capernaum after, seven, after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them, and then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let, him down, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he arose, took up his bed, and went in the presence of all of them, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Wow. Here we have the healing of the paralytic. He's at his house. He's so famous that the crowd is there. Nobody can get in. You know, they get, you know, well, a few get in, I guess, and then it's standing room only, right? And you have this man who can't walk. He has no way to get there other than his friends take him. His friends who have faith in this healer as well. And what do they do? They can't get in the door, so they just cut a hole in the roof. They're going to figure out a way to get him in there, right? When there's a will, there's a way. What's it say about these guys? Well, they're pretty loving people. To take this paralytic who had no way to get there to see Jesus. Places Capernaum, Matthew 9 describes this as Jesus' own city. It's his base for his public ministry there in Galilee, uh, on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. Paralytic friends carry him to see Jesus. He's totally immobile. With great effort, these friends lower him down through the roof. And as he's coming down, watch Jesus say, You're healed? Say, What's going on? <laughs> No, he says your sins are forgiven. What? Huh? What is that? What are you talking about? His sins are forgiven. Jesus knew the faith there. He knew what was going on. And the first thing he says is your sins are forgiven you. Wow. <laughs> Seems strange you would say that first, right? Oh, but there's a purpose for it. Yeah. As you read on... Luke mentions that there's, well, actually, uh, Mark mentions that the scribes are there. Luke mentions scribes and Pharisees, and they're reasoning in their hearts. Do you notice that? They didn't say a word. <laughs> they're thinking it. They're thinking, who is this dude that he can forgive sin? What a blasphemer. <laughs> and then Jesus turns around to him and says, why do you say this in your hearts? Can you imagine being the scribes and Pharisees when he does that? Huh? What? what? Well, I didn't say anything. He knows their hearts. He knows what's happening. That's why he said that. Because he is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He has the power to do both. 
Stephen says, what is it if I say forgive your sins or be, clean, be healed? What's the difference? He is the Son of God. He has the authority to do it. The scribes and the Pharisees are blown away by this, right? That's true. They would Yeah, that's true. You're very right. You're talking about it. What day if they'd have cut a hole in the roof, what people would be doing? Absolutely. But after all this, we have the reason for him saying that, right? That the scribes and Pharisees can hear it. They need to hear it because there's a whole purpose here going on. We know how it ends, but. The finale here is that T, Jesus tells him to arise and take up his bed and walk. And he does it in the presence of all. And what's it say about the people? They're amazed. They're dumbfounded. So much so that they can't believe that a man that's been lame from birth can do this. What are the lessons we take from this? The power of Christ to forgive sins, of course, of course. Is, is, the, is really the main one here, right? On earth, Jesus demonstrated his power to be able to forgive sin. Uh, remember the woman who washed his feet? He said her sins were forgiven. Uh, the thief on the cross, right? He has that power while here on earth to forgive sin. From Jesus, I mean from heaven, Jesus has the power to forgive by the shedding of his blood to those who respond to the gospel and to those who walk and ask forgiveness. Those things are true we learn, we begin to learn this from this passage, right? Another thing I want to point out, though, here, don't have time to go there, but in Matthew 11, 23, <clears throat> Jesus talks about the things that were done in Capernaum, healing of the centurion's servant, Peter's mother-in-law, casting out demons, and he says, Capernaum will have judgment brought upon itself because they reject him. Sad situation for the city, isn't it? One more thing here. Uh, let me just read it real quick. We've got to move on. Chapter 2, 13, then he says, Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus heard, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to all the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jane, uh, he sees Matthew or Levi, he's sitting in his tax office. What was wrong with that? We have tax collectors today. You ever gone to the tax office? Yeah. Did you tell someone in the tax office to follow you? No. You had no desire to do that, right? Neither did the Jews. They considered tax collectors to be just the worst of the worst. First of all, they're Jews and they're traitors, right? because they're being enriched by the government, Rome. They're also gouging the people, right? They're allowed to charge fees for what they did. You know, you got to go pay your taxes, and you got to pay this dude to take your taxes. Imagine that. Jesus told this guy to follow him. He tells him to follow him. He's the son of Alphaeus, probably not the same Alphaeus that was the father of James that you read about, the other apostle. But he follows him. He leaves it all and he follows him. And then he has a feast where guess what he does? 
He calls all his buddies up. Hey, we're going to have a party. Come on over. And there's Jesus at this big feast with other tax collectors and sinners, and he's driving the scribes' minds. They're blade blowing their minds, right? Jesus was in the world. He was in the flesh. He came to save those who were sinners. Just as he says, I didn't come to save those who are not in need of a doctor, not in need of a physician. I came to save those who are lost. In our lives, in our work, in our service, should we be hanging out with sinners? Well, there is some warning about that. You know, evil companions corrupt good morals, right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, otherwise, uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 6, we ought to separate, we are not, be not unequally yoked with non-believers. But 1 Corinthians 5, he says, but you got to be in the world. Paul says, yeah, we're not to be with these folks, but you got to be in the world. Otherwise, you'd have to be out of the world. We're separate. We're sanctified. We're set apart. But we are to be with those who are in need of a physician. We're to be servants to those who are in need of the gospel. They got to hear about it. They got to see us living it. They got to know who Jesus is through us. How else are they going to know? All right. I know I went through that quickly. Our time is up. Next week, we'll have a hardest weekend. We won't have class, but we will continue our study of Mark in two weeks from today. Thanks for being here. Time is up.